Welcome, I'm Max Horowitz, producer and host of Penderecki in Memoriam podcast. This podcast is created by Anna Pezhanowska and presented by Polish Cultural Institute, New York. Penderecki in Memoriam podcast unveils a multifaceted portrait of Krzysztof Penderecki with commentary from musicians, colleagues, radio programmers, and writers who lend insight and memories of Poland's greatest modern composer. This podcast is part of Penderecki in Memoriam Worldwide Project, honoring the life and legacy of the great composer. Thank you to project partners Dukes, Naxos, Ludwig von Beethoven Association, and Schott EAM for sharing Christoph Penderecki's music with the world. A musical presence since the age of 13, Julian Racklin is one of the most renowned and interesting artistic personalities of our time. In his over 30-year career, Mr. Racklin's various interests have taken him across the globe as a conductor, soloist, recording artist, chamber musician, teacher, and artistic director. Within all of this, Julian Racklin also had the pleasure of having a very close relationship with Christoph Penderecki, and the composer wrote two pieces for Maestro Racklin, the Chaconne from the Polish Requiem and the Double Concerto. Julian Racklin is here with us to discuss these pieces and the great Polish giant. Hi, Julian. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's a great pleasure. Julian, as a composer, conductor, and teacher, Penderecki had few peers today or even throughout the history of music. Well, uh, Mr. Penderecki was one of the great giants, and I myself as a musician feel like a very, very small next to those great creators. incredible composers, they are the real gods for us musicians, if I can even talk on behalf of my fellow musician friends and colleagues. We can see that the creators are our gods and it is for us to make sure that their music stays alive for many, many centuries. Given the magnitude and the incredible genius of Maestro Penderecki's music, it is quite clear to me that he will be remembered, not only remembered, but performed. His music will be performed around the globe, just like Shostakovich's music is, or like Stravinsky, Prokofiev, some of the 20th century giants. duty, especially the musicians who were working very closely together with him. It is our task to be the ambassadors of his music. Now you first met Penderecki in Vienna, June 2000, at the premiere of his sextet. Commissioned by the Music Frying, the concert featured an impressive list of musicians, including yourself. Oh yes, that was a very meaningful concert in my musical life. I was 25 years old back then, and uh, not very well acquainted with Penderecki's music, and in general with contemporary classical music. I was sort of still working and expanding my repertoire of the 18th, 19th and 20th century. 
that project, the newly written sextet, as you said, with the world premiere taking place at the legendary Golden Hall of the Vienna Music Verein. People know it mostly from the New Year's concerts, but of course it's one of the holy temples of classical music, if I may say. And being able to work for the very first time, not only with Penderecki himself, but also with my greatest idol, Mstislav Rostropovich, will be forever remembered. And it was one of those projects that in a way set me on a different path, also on a different level, because I became very interested in collaborating with composers who are alive. inspiring them to write and learning their pieces, sort of really getting into this different world of not playing composers that have passed away centuries ago or years ago, decades ago, but really working on new creations together with those amazing composers. And the fact to play with Rostropovich, he was the reason I became a musician in the very first place, because the Dvořák cello concerto recording of Rostropovich with Herbert von Karajan and the Berlin Philharmonic was the very first piece of music I heard when my parents came back in 1976, I believe. I was two years old and came back home with the LP and started playing the LP. My parents said I was just so taken and hypnotized by this recording that I never wanted it to stop. So they had to play it over and over again. So one thing led to the other, but to come back to your question, yes, being asked to play a world premiere by Penderecki with Rostropovich on the cello and other incredible musicians. I remember Yuri Bashmet on the viola and Radovan Vladkovic, one of the great horn players. I mean, it was just such an honor and so humbling. And at the same time, it was quite scary for me because the expectations were very high and they expected nothing less than the best from the only violin. It's a sextet for piano, quartet, horn and clarinet. So it was... Um, very intense. I remember I've never practiced more in my life than for this premiere. I literally practiced 17 hours a day for a week because it was very short notice. Penderecki only finished writing the sextet a week before the premiere. We had very little time to prepare. Yeah, I was just sleeping for seven hours and the rest of the day I was doing nothing but working the score and working my part. It was filmed by Unitel and it is shown until today. And I was aware of that, which, as you can imagine, put an even higher stress level. 
was somewhat normal that Penderecki would give the musicians the music very close to a performance. Unfortunately, he took it to the very extreme because, of course, he expects his music to be played phenomenally and uh, as close to his taste and to his expectations. On the other hand, getting the music one week before was very stressful for us musicians. So uh, we always tried to beg Maestro to be finished with the piece as soon as possible to give us as much time as possible before the world premiere. It was a challenge. The sextet's a two-movement work with that very interesting arrangement of instruments that you mentioned, and like most Penderecki pieces, is filled with virtuosity. It reminded me a bit of Shostakovich, and I've read that as well. Shostakovich was Penderecki's favorite composer, next to Beethoven. As far as I know, this is the two composers that he loved the most. And for me personally, he is the legitimate successor of Shostakovich in his own distinctive musical language that is recognizable. As all great composers, music is instantly recognizable. So is Penderecki's. So without ever copying Shostakovich, I think he was never somebody who would, you know, steal or copy anybody because he was such a strong personality himself and knew exactly what he wanted in all stages of his life. And um, I remember him telling me at some point saying, you know, Julian, the older I get, the more beautiful music I crave to write. And of course, we all know that Penderecki has different periods in his life. And I'm talking musically, of course. He had so many different eras where he would be writing completely different, so many different styles, yet always recognizable as his music and his very strong imprint. It's interesting that, let's say, the last 20, 25 years of his life, he started to write more and more romantically and more and more tonally as well. That was maybe something that, of course, was his path over so many decades that, let's say, the last quarter of his life, he arrived to this um, very touching and very, in a way, very romantic way of writing. I fell in love with the sextet and with his music at that very first encounter. As you said, yes, the music is extremely virtuosic, but what made it so appealing and so touching for me was the fact that his slow moments, you know, the moments where the time nearly stands still and also an orchestral work becomes as intimate as a string quartet. and. This intimacy in his music paired with extreme warmth. Yeah, it feels like a hug. Those moments were the reason why I fell in love with his music. 
course, the piece starts out with the piano and that steady rhythm leading into the clarinet and the strings and builds into that furious allegro, a lot of dotted rhythms and repeated notes. loved the motoric and the rhythmic element. The rhythms are also quite intricate, so it's not so easy to put this piece together until today, even though we all know and are familiar with the sextet. I think it's one of the most popular and most celebrated chamber music works by now of contemporary music repertoire. We have lots of recordings are out by now and I've gotten to know so many musicians who have played the sextet ever since. To put it together, you sure need more than one or two rehearsals. This is a piece where all six musicians are challenged individually and then of course as a group. The way he wrote it, the structure of the piece is again unorthodox as many of Penderecki's works were and also as very very many compositions of Penderecki, the work finishes very silently. And when I asked him why he likes to finish a piece silently, he said because that's much more difficult. He said, to make a triumphant end where everybody just jumps up, this is the easiest thing, he says. It's much harder to write a piece which ends softly and etherically. Penderecki had several periods, the first very experimental and then more of a middle period where he was adding more tonality and traditional sounds and then the later pieces such as the first violin concerto, two decades later, the second violin concerto. At your Carnegie Hall debut at the New York Philharmonic, Lauren Mazel asked you what would you like to play and you told him I expressed the wish to play Metamorphosen, which was written for Anna-Sophie Mutta and I believe world premiered in 1995. It was with Maris Janssons, who was a very close friend of my family. My parents actually studied together with Maestro Janssons in St. Petersburg at that time at the Leningrad Conservatory. So our families go way back and uh, Janssons loved Penderecki, was also very close to him. The Metamorphosen also became one of the great violin concertos, which again is in a way the continuation of the two Shostakovich violin concertos. It has a huge cadenza.
is a massive piece over 40 minutes. The violin concerto was a piece that I very much wanted to learn. It took me a year to really learn it. I wanted to take this time to really understand because it's six movements, but it's actually one movement. It's all written in one movement, but in a way in six parts and highly complex piece. For me, one of the great violin concertos out there, really amongst the greatest violin concertos ever written. Mazel, who also knew Penderecki very well and was conducting quite a lot of his symphonic works, he told me um, in the beginning to send him the music because he didn't know the piece. He said, uh, let me have a look at the piece. So, of course, I sent him the scores. I also had a recording with Penderecki from Brussels. That was the first time, actually, I performed the Metamorphosum was with Penderecki conducting at the Palais de Beaux-Arts in Brussels. In the end, Mazel agreed, so the concerto was uh, scheduled. I then went to see Penderecki just maybe a week before my flight to New York. I just wanted to work it, and of course he wrote it for Anne-Sophie Mutter, and Anne-Sophie Mutter made a beautiful foreshot. The information was very, very clear, and also Penderecki was extremely exact in his notations, which makes it much easier, of course, especially now that he's not with us anymore. We know pretty much what he wants, how he wants us to play. You know, unlike Mozart, where you have sometimes a few forte and a few piano notations, and you don't have an idea what Mozart really wanted, how he wanted his music to be played, and many other composers. But still, I absolutely wanted to work the piece before going to New York, and Penderecki was very kind, and I went to his home in Krakow, I think for a good three days, stayed with him and his wonderful wife, Elgibiata. And we were working on the uh, concerto and I remember playing a certain passage and him stopping and with a very sort of unsatisfied voice, half yelling, why are you playing this so fast? I said, maestro, it says molto vivace, very vivid. He said, yes, but this is not for you. This was for Anne-Sophie Mutter. This is not convincing. Then I arrived at a different place. You know, it said consordino, which means put on a mute. So I put on the mute and continue to play with the mute on. And again, he says, why are you playing this with a mute? I said, maestro, in the music it says with a mute. He said, yeah, but this is not for you. This is for Anne-Sophie Mutter. So I ended up understanding that... There are certain things that he wanted exactly as notated in the score, but certain things he didn't. So he was very open for change. And the more I got to know him and the closer our friendship became, the more he demanded the musician to change things if the musician felt things needed to be changed. I then remembered 
how Rostropovich was in the rehearsals to the sextet because Rostropovich was changing quite a lot of things tempos they were arguing about the piano if the lid should be entirely removed or just you know widely open a lot of things there was very yeah big discussions and Penderecki liked these discussions of course he was very clear as unclear as I might sound right now as clear did it seem in the end of the day I was a little bit confused I was saying yeah but how do I know what you really want how do I know what you want me to change or what you don't want me to change and he said listen I want you to be convinced and I want to be convinced by you. And if it means taking off the mute, then it means taking off the mute. If it means playing something slower than notated, then that's what you have to do. It has to make sense for you. If it makes sense for you and if you convey the interpretation in a very convincing manner, me as a composer, I will be convinced. And I think that this is such an incredible thing to hear from one of the greatest composers ever to live. So helpful for us musicians, because we are always so insecure when we cannot ask the composer. We don't know how did they want it. And there are millions of ways to play a Schubert and a Brahms and Tchaikovsky and Beethoven. And there's so many ways to do it right or wrong. And we are constantly searching for the truth and you know, a lifetime is not enough because we will never know what they actually wanted. The only thing we can do, and this is the beauty of our profession, when we analyze the score, when we think about how we want to approach the interpretation, to have a clear plan. And of course, that plan changes in the course of a lifetime. That's why it's interesting, you know, like you listen to Glenn Gould's early Goldberg Variation recording and then 30 years later to the old Glenn Gould. Both recordings are incredible. And then, of course, it is only a matter of taste. He was very convinced with both of these recordings. He had a very clear message in the 1955 recording and in the 1982, I believe, recording. I asked Maestro Penderecki to draft a letter, which I would then deliver to Mazel personally, that he changed a lot of things. I actually, at the first piano rehearsal with the New York Philharmonic and with Mazel, I forgot about it because I was so focused and nervous about my New York Phil debut and playing this piece for Mazel. I forgot to hand him the letter, so I started playing. And so then Mazel started yelling at me, saying, why are you playing this so fast? It's written this. Why is the mute not on? Why all these changes? And then I remembered, I said, oh, I'm so sorry, Maestro Mazel. I have a letter for you. I just visited Maestro Penderecki and um, he made a lot of changes. And this is the letter. So then Mazel read the letter, not very excitedly, but said, all right, okay. When you invited Penderecki to be composer-in-residence at the Julian Racklin and Friends Festival, he wrote a special chamber orchestra transcription for you on the Chacon extracted from the Polish Requiem. Well, at that time I was running a festival in the very south of Croatia, in Dubrovnik, beautiful ancient city on Adriatic coast. 
My friendship to Penderecki by then had, yeah, we were very close and it was a very meaningful and deep friendship. We would call each other on a pretty regular basis, and uh, I uh, asked him if he would be interested to be composer in residence that I was running this festival, mostly chamber music festival, but we did have also some significant orchestra concerts. I remember Zubin Mehta coming, Daniele Gatti, the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields, the Bayerische Rundfunk, Bavarian Radio Symphony Orchestra. Besides doing projects, very interesting projects with actors as well. Sir Roger Moore, 007, James Bond, used to, to visit Dubrovnik every year and we would always find a very special project together with word and music. Of course, we would do the Carnival of the Animals, we would do Peter and the Wolf, but we did some other very nice projects with Roger Moore, but also with John Malkovich. Malkovich visited Dubrovnik twice and we did also some very interesting projects with Malkovich, some amazing musicians. Yeah, I did the festival for 12 years, but I never had a composer in residence. So then I asked Penderecki if he would consider that, knowing that he was extremely busy and traveling and conducting himself quite a lot. And of course, being commissioned and asked by literally every organization, every opera house and orchestra to all us soloists and conductors, begging him to write. So he was flooded with work, but he was very kind and agreed to come. Of course, we were playing quite a bunch of his works, but I asked him if there was any way that he could write something for violin and viola. And this is when he had the idea to make a transcription of uh, the Chacon, which he dedicated to the Pope, Johannes Paul II. He said, Julian, there is nothing more difficult to write, first of all, for string quartet, for any composer. After Haydn and Beethoven, most composers failed, in a way, writing string quartets. Maybe that is a very harsh comment of mine, but it was very difficult. And also Penderecki was saying string quartet is the hardest genre for us composers and uh, not just for the composers. I would say that the string quartet is the most difficult genre in classical music, by far. And it is also maybe some of the greatest music ever written. But he said, Equally difficult as a string quartet is to do this very transcription. To reduce a piece that was originally written for a chamber orchestra to two instruments is an impossibility. So he spent a really long time, he was swearing at me. He said, why did I agree to write this? This is costing me, I could write so many big pieces and I'm still sitting here and figuring out how to put the chacon into the violin and viola. He finally masterfully did it. I love this chacon transcription. I think it's at least as great as the original. And he was very happy with it. And he also then was inspired. I think that there are also transcriptions for violin and cello. So you can play it in various combinations, but the very first original transcription was in Dubrovnik at my festival. It was the very first piece written and dedicated to me by Penderecki, which was also an incredible honor, amazing feeling.
course, Penderecki was so deeply moved by the death of the Pope. John Paul II was more than a religious man. He was a political thinker. Pope Johannes Paul II was Polish, and Penderecki in Poland was celebrated like a pope. He was a national darling and favorite of Poland. And also people who had no idea about classical music, they all knew the name Krzysztof Penderecki. So both of these men lived through so many political and historical occasions, big changes. Lech Valenza, the whole movement of independence and freedom and the fall of the Iron Curtain and so many things which both Penderecki and Pope Johannes Paul II witnessed. And I think the passing of Johannes Paul II made a very big inspiration for Penderecki to dedicate a piece in memoriam. And I think that he respected and loved John Paul II a lot. I don't know if they knew each other, but I would assume that they would have met on various occasions, given the prominence of Penderecki and the Polish connection. Of course, it's a beautiful testament to have for all of us. Of course, this Chaconne and the transcription, it really follows the traditional Baroque Chaconne format with the descending bass line and the ornamental writing. Yes, it is structured, as you said, as a classical Chaconne. And of course, as somebody who plays the Bach Chaconne quite a bit, it was a challenge, he told me, to write a Chaconne because the Bach Chaconne is, you know, it's like the Bible somehow. Such a monumental masterpiece. For any composer to write a chacon is something very, very stressful, I would imagine. I think this chacon, completely its own path, has its own structure, is very powerful, has everything what Penderecki loves, has his language, it has all the variations. It's a very powerful piece when you listen, when you imagine that there is only two instruments playing. He did manage to make it sound as if, you know, an organ is playing this, not even a chamber orchestra. The voicing and the way he creates it as a sculpture is absolutely phenomenal. And playing this chacon, again, for the violinist and the violist, putting it together, a lot of intervals to tune those takes forever if you really want to do it well. And then, of course, finding the right climax. And as I said before, it evaporates into nothing at the end. But it takes you through a journey. As every great work, it's architectural masterpiece, and especially to write a chacon, has to be the shape and the technique, just structuring a chacon is not as simple as it might seem. But another thing is the interpretation, to give that an arch from beginning to the end, to take the listener through this chacon, through this masterwork, is a very big challenge. You're a violinist and a conductor and also a violist, and your passion for the viola inspired Penderecki to also write the concerto doppio for you, the double concerto. It took him a very long time at your urging. 
Wasn't it Pinker Zuckerman who originally encouraged you to learn the viola? Very lucky to have studied for two years with Mr. Zuckerman in New York. That was between 1992 and 1994. And once I came to a lesson and Zuckerman said, you play viola. I said, no, Mr. Zuckerman, I, I don't. He said, well, you should. If you want to be a good violinist, you have to play the viola. I said, but I can't even read the clef. Like, how can I? He said, well, then it's time to learn it. And why don't you start with the early Haydn quartets and take it from there, learn the clef and learn everything about the viola because it's going to make you a better violinist. I didn't understand what he meant until later, but I can only urge and recommend all wonderful violinists out there who are listening to this to pick up the viola as soon as they possibly can, because it is a big game changer. You learn so much, especially in chamber music, sitting in the core of the group and being forced to listen to all other voices. It really makes a very big difference. And also purely technically speaking, playing the violin, coming then back to the violin. It's amazing what one learns about sound, about colors, about bow speed, bow pressure, about so many purely technical things. But coming back to your question, pretty much in the beginning of my friendship with Maestro Penderecki, I asked him, I said, Maestro, there is so few pieces written by great composers for the violin and viola with orchestra. So obviously there is the celebrated, incredible Sinfonia Concertante by Mozart. And then you have the wonderful double concerto by Benjamin Britten. And that's pretty much it. Although there is a wonderful double concerto by Max Bruch, which originally Bruch wrote for viola and clarinet but that turned out not to be a great success so Bruch himself made a version for violin and viola which I love playing it's a wonderful concerto I've just mentioned three names Max Bruch, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart and Benjamin Britten so I asked Penderecki I remember this being in the year 2000 just as I was rehearsing the sextet and I asked him I said would you be interested to write a double concerto for violin and viola, an orchestra. And he said, young man, why don't you first play everything I wrote for violin and viola? And then we can take this conversation further. <laughs> so it took me about 12 years to learn all the pieces Menderecki had written for violin and viola. But I took his advice serious and I actually really learned most of the works he has written. Fair enough, like... Who am I to ask Penderecki? I took this comment literally. I don't think he thought that I would. After 10 years, I came back to him and I said, Maestro. And by that time, I called him Krzysztof. I said, Krzysztof, you owe me. I have literally played every piece that you ever wrote for violin and viola. And I will quote you now. When you told me to do that 10 years ago, in the year 2000, at the rehearsals, for the world premiere of your sextet. And you cannot imagine the expression on his face. <laughs> Although he did know that I played so much of his music. To sum it up, I was challenging him. I was saying, you have to do this. We need, the world needs another great double concerto for violin and viola. Please, can you do this? And I have done everything I possibly could to show you how much I honor your music. By that time, I was already starting to conduct and I told him that the maestro, 
I promise to you that I will be the ambassador of this piece. I will not only play it as a violinist, but I will play it as a violist with all my violin colleagues. I will, of course, play it on the violin, all the wonderful viola players, and I will definitely conduct it with wonderful soloists. It took a long time to, first of all, to convince him to do it, but then to put the puzzle together. So I called the director of the Music Freien and asked if the Music Freien would be interested to commission it. I then called Maris Janssons if he would be interested because I knew that Maris world premiered the Metamorphosen and I had played it with Maris as well with the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra. <laughs> Maris liked the idea and we decided to do it with the Bavarian Radio Symphony Orchestra, one of the finest orchestras in the world, which he led until his death. And the world premiere took place in 2012. There was a little story, little anecdote about one month away from the world premiere when Penderecki suddenly calls me and says, Julian, I had this wonderful idea Instead of the double concerto, why don't I write a concerto for four violins? <laughs> I nearly fainted. I said, Krzysztof, I was asking you for 12 years to write this double concerto. And you're telling me now that you want to write a concerto for four violins. Of course, for the world premiere, you will have four amazing violinists. But who is ever going to play it after the world premiere? Especially knowing you, you will want this piece always performed by the top violinists. But which orchestra is going to pay a quadruple fee for four top soloists? I said, please, can we stick to our original plan? Okay. I'll write the double concerto then. Hang off the phone and I was like, whew. In interviews, he would mention about this piece that he thought the viola part was even harder than the violin part. Definitely, because Penderecki played both violin but also the viola. And he told me, these violists, they always think they can get away with no practice. And I'm going to make all viola parts extremely hard. And you know, not only the solo part of the concerto doppio is hard, but also the orchestra parts of the violas are extremely hard. For example, the metamorphosis. There are passages there where you would need to practice for weeks and weeks. And of course, European orchestras are different from American orchestras in the way that European orchestras tend to, for the first rehearsal, not come 100% prepared. American orchestras, on the other hand, pretty much come perfectly prepared to the first rehearsal, which is just a different way of approaching things. I 
remember with the metamorphosis and with the second violin concerto arriving to European orchestras and the viola section just completely collapsing because they didn't have a look at their parts. And Wenderetsky loved watching those viola sections. He got a kick out of this. And then, you know, the violas panicking and going all home and then for the second rehearsal already being much better prepared. He just loved writing very hard viola parts. Just in closing, I wanted to ask, what above all do you remember about Penderecki? What above all did you learn from the man? He was an extremely kind human. It taught me that you can be very, very strong, but at the same time, very, very warm and kind. One does not exclude the other. And you do not have to be a tyrant or a mean person or loud or unpolite to be a strong personality. Above all, that will stay beside the incredible music. But you can hear all of that. You can hear Penderecki's authority. You can hear his strength. You can hear his ruthlessness. He was never afraid of taking risks. He would break with traditions. He would be so ballsy. And at the same time, he was such a classical composer. He was a revolutionary composer, but he was also a very, very classical composer. many styles and yet a language that is absolutely unique but above all of that the strongest impact he made was with his kindness and with his love to life to his wife to his family to his grandchildren to his children he was an extremely faithful friend once he was your friend he was your friend forever and he treasured those friendships and he took care of them and he didn't take them for granted. And so I learned a lot from Maestro Penderecki how to be a very strong leader and always stay respectful and kind to the people you work with. Julian Racklin, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast to discuss the great composer Christoph Penderecki. It was my great pleasure talking to you, dear Mr. Horowitz. Thank you so much. This is Max Horowitz, producer and host of Penderecki In Memoriam podcast, created by Anna Pezhanowska and presented by Polish Cultural Institute New York. Thank you to project partners Dukes, Naxos, Ludwig von Beethoven Association, and Schott EAM for sharing Christoph Penderecki's music with the world. We appreciate you joining us in honoring and celebrating Penderecki's life and legacy. Make sure to subscribe. (laughs) ¶¶